Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team the Rays radio network proudly presents this week in Rays baseball drilled the center field indeed back on it is eaten to the track to the wall it's gone Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center and he gives the Rays a six to four lead here in the ninth Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. To our show today from the beautiful Guy Harvey Outpost of Tradewinds Island Resorts on St. Pete Beach, where we have a raised watch party today. We're going to sit down on today's show with one Matt Andres, discuss moving back to the rotation. We'll chat with Tom Foley about players moving around the infield, get you caught up on the Rays minor league system, and discuss a new Rays website, seeking your input on a future home in Tampa Bay. First, we look at highlights from the week gone by. Sunday, the Rays were looking to win a series from the Twins. Unfortunately, one player in the Minnesota lineup proved to be too much to handle. The first pitch to Sano. High drive, deep left center. Did he get enough? It sure looks like it. All the way back to Duckies. It's a three-run homer for Miguel Sano. And the Twins take a 3-1 to lead. Boy, was that touched off. Indeed it was. Miguel Sano eventually hit a pair of home runs. He drove in four. The first one gave the Twins the lead for good as they won 6-3, and Tampa Bay ended a 6-4 and homestand. Monday, the Rays went on the road to meet the Toronto Blue Jays, and twice on this night, the Rays came back from a two-run deficit. One and two, the infield back. Can Brad make contact? The pitch. Swing and a line drive down the right field line. That's a fair ball. And it bounces up against the sidewall. It ties the game. Forsythe scores. Longoria scores. And Brad Miller to second with a two-run double. And the Rays have tied it at four. The Rays never led, though, in this matchup. Toronto used the, or took advantage, rather, of three walks in the seventh, scored three times, and won 7-4. Tuesday, the Rays looked for an answer and found one, thanks in part to some clutch pitching from Drew Smiley. So the base is full, the 1-2 on its way. Swing, and he popped him up. Will it stay in play? Maley flips away the mask. In front of the Rays' dugout is there to make the catch, and Drew Smiley pulls a Houdini. He escapes a bases-loaded, nobody-out situation and leaves them all stranded. Right after Smiley worked out of that mess, the Rays scored four in the seventh, rolled to a 9-2 win. Tampa Bay now had scored 45 runs in their last five games at the Rogers Center. Now Wednesday, the Rays looked for a serious win with Blake Snell on the mound. Unfortunately, it was a rare case where Snell was off his game. 
Two balls, one strike to count. Line drive deep down the left field line. Into the corner. Gone. A first inning three-run homer for Troy Tulowitzki. And the Blue Jays have a 3-0 lead. Tulowitzki drove in five. Snell lasted just an inning and two-thirds. And the Rays dropped the game and the series by a 7-0 score. Thursday, the Rays were off before beginning a three-game set in New York Friday. And on this night, Alex Rodriguez would play his final game with the Yankees. Matt Duffy, his first in a Rays uniform. Evan Longoria homer to try and spoil the Yankee party. But New York had an answer. It'll be a 3-2. A swing and a high fly ball. Center field and fairly deep. Matuk still going back. Back to the wall. Jumps up and he can't get it. It's a home run for Starlin Castro. That just carried on out of here. It's a two-run homer, and the Yankees lead it 5-3. to three. And that gave the Yankees the lead for good. They eventually won by a 6-3 score. And then yesterday, the Rays looked to even the series, and Brad Miller did his best to make it happen. Swing and a fly ball in the left field. This is going to drive Aaron Hicks back to the warning track, to the wall, jumps up, and it's gone! Brad Miller to the opposite field, and he tucks one just over the wall, in left field, it's a three-run home run, and he gives the Rays a 3-2 lead here on the fourth. And that's the Andy special that Andy Freed loves. That was the first of two Brad Miller homers, giving him 22 of them, but New York hit five home runs on the day, and the Yankees won the second game of the series 8-4, putting the Rays in salvage mode today. Well, from $2 kids to $2 dogs, senior special to student rush, we have something for everyone each night of the week. Check out these great specials at RaysBaseball.com slash specials or call 888-FAN-RAYS right now. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball, again, from the Guy Harvey Outpost of Trade Winds Island Resorts on St. Pete Beach. I'm Neil Solons coming up. Learn what it means to Matt Andrees to be back in the Rays rotation after this on the Rays Baseball Network. You're stuck in the mall waiting area. That human zoo where less enthusiastic shoppers cram into lounge chairs and try to avoid eye contact. But you have Bright House Networks, offering thousands of free Wi-Fi hotspots all over town. So you can pass the time surfing and streaming while your compadres gaze upon you with envy. Connect to what you love at letsconnect.com. Bring the family to the ballpark as the Rays host the Rangers on Sunday, August 21st. Kids 14 and under take home the mascots with a Raymond and DJ Kitty double bobble presented by Suncoast Credit Union while supplies last. After the game, the Kids Bop Kids take the stage and we'll have you singing and dancing along during the ultimate family concert experience. Visit RaysBaseball.com today. Raise up. This message is brought to you by the Florida Division of Emergency Management, the Florida Association of Broadcasters, and this radio station. It only takes one storm to change the landscape of a community. People must do their part to prepare their families for all types of disasters. The Florida Division of Emergency Management provides individuals and families with the tools to get a plan to prepare for a disaster. Go to flgetaplan.com to build your family's plan. That's flgetaplan.com. The insurance run. That big late-inning shot that breaks the game wide open. All of a sudden, a nail-biter turns into one for the win column. The closer can stay in the bullpen and 30,000 fans can breathe a little easier. At Sagicor Life Insurance Company, we know that feeling of being worry-free. But we also know it's not just confined to the ballpark. Visit us today at SagicorLifeUSA.com 
and find out how to make that feeling last. Sagicor Life, proud partner of the Tampa Bay Rays. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Krasnicki, and you're listening to the Home of the Rays, 620 WDAE and 95.3 FM. We continue on this week in race baseball. Our feature guest this week is race pitcher Matt Andrees. And, Matt, the chance to be in the race rotation over the last couple months. Let's start there. What does that mean to you? It's good to get back, definitely. Um, you know, I was kind of bummed to see Matt Moore go but because uh, he's a good friend of mine and a big part of our team. But, uh, you know, that's just how baseball goes sometimes. And, you know, he was traded, and now it's my opportunity to step up and, you know, pick up where I left off. How do you view these final two months in terms of your career looking forward and the opportunity to start? You know, I, I just view it as like a kind of like a career difference. You know, I can kind of make make a, make my name known a little bit and uh, just kind of like build off of where I left off of earlier in the season. So We'll hit on some of those finer moments, but let's backtrack. When did you realize you wanted to be a baseball player? When did you think you actually had a chance to be a major league ball player? I think it's always been in my like my mindset. You know, growing up as a kid, I always just thought about baseball. That's all it was. More, more, more so, more like a just sports in general. But I think baseball was one of the sports that I actually loved the most and kind of was better at. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to be a baseball player, and it's always been my mindset. When was pitching your thing, and when did you, versus being, let's say, a position player growing up? Um, I played all positions. I was a catcher, shortstop, outfielder growing up, but once, uh, I think it was a sophomore, my sophomore year in high school, I kind of, that was when I my pitching career kind of took off. I play a little bit of outfield still, but uh, I think that's when I started to, uh, you know, become like a full-time pitcher. What kind of pitchers did you like growing up? You were, what, less than an hour from Angel Stadium? Yeah, I grew up like 35, 40 minutes from Angel Stadium. Used to go to all the games. Uh, I was just a huge Angels fan in general, so whoever their big big name guys were growing up, I was watching them. You know, even from Chuck Finley to, you know, even Kevin Jepsen when he was there in the, you know, I forget what year it was, but... uh, you know, when they were making their good run. But uh, I was just, you know, just a huge Angels fan in general. How old have you made him feel then, telling him, hey, I, I, you were one of my guys? Yeah, I've told him a couple of times. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just – I'm just a huge baseball fan in general. I don't really follow closely, like, one guy in general. I just like watching good pitchers pitch. I was curious if, though, there were pitchers where you modeled yourself after or you wanted to be like him, whether it was Angels games or, or other guys you saw around the game. Yeah, there's not really one guy that comes to mind, but I just I remember seeing like even Tim Hudson pitch, you know, when he was with the A's with like Barry Zito and that whole really good rotation. Um, just seeing those guys pitch well, you know, Greg Maddox too. Um, just good pitchers in general. I like watching. When you went to games as a kid, were you an upper deck guy? Were you down in the lower deck ever? Did you ever get a chance to get autographs? What are your best memories? We used to go. There, there was a family that had a season tickets that were on the third base side right there uh, about eight rows up. That They knew that we were a big baseball family. So whenever they had extra tickets, they would throw them our way. So we were right there right next to the action. It was fun. 
Any autographs ever? It, or did anyone stiff you for an autograph that you've made sure to remind them if you met them at the big league level? I don't recall like exactly who would give me autographs, but for some reason I was always the, the lucky kid that always got the ball. That you know, a bullpen guy would throw me a ball, a coach coming back from you know, the starters walking in, they would always toss me a ball. So it was kind of like a my my parents and my brothers were always like, Man, you're so lucky, you always get the ball. <laughs> Now, when, when I was uh, when we had Luke Maley on last week, he talked about getting baseballs at, at uh, Old Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati and said he'd never get them autographed because he actually would play with them. Did you did you use them then after that at home or did and play with them, or did they end up uh, getting autographed and somewhere on a shelf? Yeah, I wasn't a huge autograph guy. Just I was more like you said, just more like a play with it in the yard. Like, oh, this is a big league ball. This feels so good. You know, more of that type of guy. You mentioned you took off in your high school career. Your number actually in January was retired over at East Valley Redlands or Redlands East Valley High School uh, this past January. What did that mean to you? It's just it's good to, you know, have a, being recognized in the city of Redlands and East Valley is kind of like a big baseball city or a baseball high school, you know, Chatwood and t- the late Tommy Hansen got his number retired there. So their thing was, you know, make it to the big leagues, you get your uh, number retired. So it was quite an honor. For you and your family, can you put that in perspective and, and what that meant? Yeah, just, you know, growing up in Redlands my whole my whole life. And, uh, you know, Redlands East Valley High School was built shortly, you know, like probably when I was growing up. So it wasn't like a huge, it was a newer school. So uh, we always had our in-city in rivalry with uh, Redlands High School. So it was just, you know, it's, my parents were definitely very happy about that. Now, Tyler Chatwood, who you mentioned, plays for the Colorado Rockies, and the Rays were in Colorado last month. Did you get much of a chance to hang out with him? I actually didn't. He was starting the second game of that series, so, you know, he's on his good routine. And, you know, I was I had, I had, was in the bullpen, so I could have pitched any night. So, we, you know, I just did the smart thing and headed to the hotel. And But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he's a good friend of mine. I actually saw him twice before walking in the stadium so I got to talk to him a little bit here and there but yeah I was it was cool to play against him I wish I would have been able to you know face him pitch against him maybe hit against him but that didn't work out you mentioned hitting you did not get to hit in the interleague games because you weren't starting at the time and there are no more interleague games so give us your best description of your hitting prowess uh I would consider myself more of like a uh, a line drive hitter to the opposite field that was kind of like my thing in high school, I was more of like a gap-to-gap line drive guy. I didn't hit for much power. <laughs> I was kind of a small, uh, skinny, slender guy, so I wasn't. I didn't have too much pop. But you know, I was good at, good for base hits. Was that part of the reason you ended up going to UC Riverside? Because you were drafted out of high school by the Rangers. You had a chance to go pro then, but rather decided to go the college route. Yeah, I was. I knew I needed to grow and get stronger and. Uh, I just didn't really focus a lot on pitching. You know, like I said earlier, uh, I started pitching mainly when I was a sophomore in high school. But uh, I felt like going to college was a smart thing for me to do. And you went to a pretty good school. I mean, UC Riverside has put out some pretty good major leaguers. I mean, Joe Kelly, who's uh, been up and down with the Cardinals and the Red Sox, one of them. Yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of like the main thing. And I wanted to be able to go to a school that was, you know, I'd be able to play from the get-go. And uh, they kind of relayed that message to me that I'd be able to, you know, be in their starting rotation from the get-go, and uh, it worked out great. 
when you're not at the field, what types of things do you like to do to relax? Because to obviously baseball is a big part of your life, but to be baseball 24-7 can kind of drive you crazy, I'm sure. Yeah, it is tough. You know, you got to kind of let the baseball get off the mind a little bit. But I'm, I'm a huge golfer. I like to golf. It's kind of tough now with all the, you know, the heat out here in Florida during the mornings. And But, yeah, I'm a huge golf guy. Um, I, I love to sleep. I like sleeping in, so that's kind of a, my big thing. But, uh, you know, I, I just in the off-seasons, I like to hang out with my family and my, my brothers. My brothers, who's, he's a year and a half younger than me, so we just have a lot of good time together. Your golf game, you said you're not able to play as much, but what kind of golf game do you have? I know your rep is pretty good. Yeah, um, I, my handicap's usually around, typically around a 6 or a 7. So, uh, I, like I said, I haven't been able to play since spring training much. I think I've played one round since then. But uh, I'm looking forward to the off season, trying to get a membership somewhere. So, Strong, Stronger game, driving, putting, mid-range, what's, what's your strength? I'd say I'm all around, just average across the board. Uh, I've never had actually had a lesson in terms of my swing or anything. I just like watching, you know, watch the golf channel, learn from different guys, and uh, yeah, I think it's fun. Who's the best golfer on the team? I know you're not golfing much now, but who's who's tops in that clubhouse? From the guys that I know that I've played with, Luke Maley's up there. You know, me, Luke, and Kurt always have some pretty good battles. Uh, in spring training. So I would say us three are kind of up there, but there could be a, a couple sleepers that, you know, that we haven't played with yet. If you were not playing baseball, could you ever see yourself playing golf? I could. I mean, if I focused on it, I think that's something that I would want to do is kind of, if, if I wasn't in baseball, I'd kind of be like a, a head pro of a golf shop or, you know, somewhere on the golf course. Now, you come off as fairly quiet. So when you were down in the bullpen before you moved back in the rotation, what kind of bullpen guy were you, and who was the loud guy in that pen? Uh, there was a lot of incoming parts. You know, it was, the bullpen was a little different. You know, we have, we have like, Colum A and uh, Sedania, Erasmo. We have all those guys. But uh, I'd say, like, Erasmo and myself were kind of, like, kind of, like, just a uh, – the life of the party down there, some other quiet guys. But when Jepson came back, it's nice to have his presence back. Absolutely. Again, we're sharing with Matt Andres on This Week in Race Baseball. Let's touch on your best moment so far in the game. Um, at the big league level, you've had a call-up. You pitched in front of your mom on Mother's Day, the first game she saw you in person, and you won. And you've had a complete game here against the Oakland A's. Rank those for me and put something else in there if it's higher. Yeah, I'd definitely say uh, the complete game shutout was number one. Just, uh, you know, my second start back from AAA, and, uh, yeah, that was definitely one of my highest achievements so far. I would def- I would put a pitching in- at Angel Stadium in front of my-, my parents and my mom on Mother's Day right there at number two. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just being, being here in general, it's a huge accomplishment and uh, having success. Absolutely. What have your parents' influence been on you, and and what have they meant to you being in the game to begin with? They're really supportive of whatever I do, and uh, you know they're just they're huge fans. So they watch every single game. I talk to them before and after every single game. Just you know, just it's nice to have that uh, that support system. Couple rapid fire questions here. 
walk-up song is why? Why do you have the walk-up song you do? Um, I'm kind of more of like the upbeat type music guy. Uh, I picked that song because I like to get a little, you know, a little fired up before I get on the mound. Uh, but at the same time, it's not too crazy. Favorite pregame meal? Um, I like to have some good protein, you know, like like a steak, kind of like nothing too filling, but can't go wrong with a nice little Philly cheesesteak. Anything you can cook? Well, I'm not a big cooker, but uh, I'll definitely find some good meals, you know, going to different restaurants and stuff. Yeah, well, give me three people if you wanted to have a meal with, alive or dead, that you would want at the table. Uh, I'd have to say Jeter, because I met him. He's one of my big idols growing up. Um, I think it'd be cool to, to eat with Babe Ruth, just because he's a legend. And uh, Jerry Rice. I was a big 49ers fan growing up. So, and What don't we know about Matt Andres that would be good to know? Hmm. I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll have to wait. Let's look forward five years. Where do you want to be as a big leaguer? I just want to be a consistent starter in the big leagues, you know, making every start. That's kind of like my thing. I like to just go out there and pitch every five days and, uh, you know, let my competitive nature, you know, dictate how I how I do out there so uh you know I just I like to be you know I like to be on a winning team and I, I believe that here in Tampa we can do that well good luck especially the last couple of months and hopefully we're talking about how successful and consistent you are five years from now again thanks for being on this week in Rays baseball all right thanks a lot Neil that's Matt Andrees we'll continue right after this on the Rays baseball network Local news and movie reviews. Republicans and restaurants. Democrats and debutantes. St. Pete Times and Tampa Tribune. Coupons, comics, and puzzles. Tom Jones, Martin Fennelly, Mark Topkin, and John Romano. Ernest Hooper, Dan Ruth, Howard Altman, and Sue Carlton. Now all your favorite writers and the local news you love are in one place. The Tampa Bay Times. One for all. To subscribe, call 1-877-THE-TIMES. Hey, honey, take a look at this rash on my back. What do you think it is? I don't know. Poison oak? Where would I even get poison oak? Leprosy? Leprosy. Don't guess what it is. Introducing TGH Virtual Care from Tampa General Hospital. With the Virtual Care app or web portal, you can see a doctor live anytime on your smartphone or computer. So you can get treated for many common ailments like sinusitis, cough, flu, rash, and more. Get TGH Virtual Care for adults and kids from Tampa General Hospital. Live fiercely. Growing oranges isn't all that different from baseball. Like throwing the perfect pitch, picking an orange is all about technique. And because we have really high standards, our oranges always outshine the competition. So join Tropicana, Florida's hometown juice, and cheering on our hometown team. Show the Rays we love the game as much as we love oranges. And when you support your local team, you support your local orange growers too. Tropicana, morning is brighter with two squeezed oranges in your glass. What fan doesn't want to sit in premium seats or wear a real jersey or hang out during pregame with a player? Thanks to Visit St. Pete Clearwater, you can enter for a chance to win an amped-up Rays VIP fan experience like no other. Four tickets in the Dex Imaging Home Plate Club, VIP passes to batting practice, Rays jerseys, and a pregame meet-and-greet with a player or coach. Get amped because it could happen to you. Enter Visit St. Pete Clearwater's Fan Ampingtastic Sweepstakes at RaysBaseball.com slash 
Follow us on Twitter for every Rays game at 620 WDAE. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons today from the beautiful Guy Harvey Outpost of Trade Winds Island Resorts on St. Pete Beach. Now, two race stories this week were tied together. One, Brad Miller formally moving to first base, and the other, Matt Duffy, joining the race at shortstop after playing third for the Giants. And I asked the bench coach and infield instructor, Tom Foley, about the greatest challenge in moving around. First of all, you got to want to do it, obviously, and then you get after it. Uh, you know, I'm always under the, the belief that if you can play shortstop, you can play just about anywhere in the infield. Uh, uh, for the most part, not always, not always happens. Uh, you know, the guy out there, middle of the infield, whether it be second base or shortstop, got good hands, good feet. And uh, so when you move them, it's just basically the tougher part is if you move them from one side to the other side of the infield, the ball's coming off at different angles. And, uh, you know, you have to get used to that. And that's just playing that position for a period of time. But for the most part, uh, you kind of break it down, being simple, catch the ball, throw the ball. You know, go over there, catch the ball, use the same skills. Uh, corners, the ball get to you a little bit quicker. Uh, uh, you know, if you're playing first base and you boot it, you just pick it up and you still have time to throw it over to the pitcher covering first base. But uh, you got to want to do it. And then once uh, that happens, you just get after it. And basically it's the little nuances of, you know, it's, it's a little tougher at first base than it is at all the others because there's a lot of things going on at first base. Uh, but the other three positions... Uh, I try to keep it as simple as possible, and uh, positioning is is one. Uh, know that make sure that they keep their spacing wherever position they're playing uh, between the the three, uh, third base, shortstop, and second baseman, and you just catch the ball, throw the ball. You know you have to do a little bit of different things if you're going from short to second, and you're pivoting on double play because your back's to the runner. Uh, but for the most part, everybody's got a little time clock in their head. They know who's running. They know when he's getting close. So they know when they have time. So uh, that's just, uh, you know, once you go through a lot of the little things, uh, not in the game, the rest of it has to take place in the game so that they can see that happen. You mentioned a couple things I want to touch on. First, the nuances of first base. What are the more difficult nuances? Is it is it holding runners? Is it the bunning game? Is it the cutoffs and relays? What what's, do you think is the hardest adjustment? Well, uh, attention-wise, it's the same as any other position. You know, you got that three, four second time period when the ball's being thrown and it gets to the hitting zone where you have to be ready. But at first base, you know, there might be a guy that, that, that can bunt. you got to come in a little bit. You can't play as deep. Um, you know, the communication there with uh, the, the pitcher and you. Uh, then you've got uh, when the ball's hit, you know, we ask our first baseman with a right-handed hitter to get way off as, as far as they can. And when the ground ball's hit, they really got to hustle to get over to first base, hit the bag, turn around. And, you know, there's little things about that, too. When you get to the bag, you hit it with your left foot, which stops you, turns your body, and then your right heel finds the bag. Um, and, you know, though anybody thinks think it's easy, they can do it. Uh, those little things they don't know. The footwork is, uh, it has to be talked about. So that that's it, holding a runner on, uh, coming off the bag uh, so you don't lose ground. Uh, and you don't come in closer. You want to stay as deep as possible coming off at a straight angle. Uh, creating a lane to throw if a runner gets picked off by a left-hander so that you can make a good, clear path throw to a second base who's covering. And a lot of those things. So you talk about them, and then, you know, you kind of create it, and you do it working out. But until it happens in a game, you really you don't experience that if you've never played it before. So 
those are the little things. There may be some growing pains for anybody who goes from one position to another, but once they settle in, uh, it just becomes an everyday thing. And you mentioned also the angles off the bat, that if you're on the right side of the infield after being on the left side, it can be a little bit of a challenge. In Matt Duffy's case, he went from shortstop as a minor leaguer to third base back to shortstop. Does being on the left side that whole time, does that benefit him? And what are the biggest adjustments going back from third base to shortstop? Well, I think if you played short and then you move to third, and a lot of guys have done it, uh, whether you be a utility guy or uh, a platoon player or an everyday player that went from short to third. Uh, you know, he's done it there for about a year and played very well at third base from what I understand. Uh, so no hesitation going back. Once you played shortstop and you go to another pitch and you go back to shortstop, I don't think uh, you have a problem. You know that that is your position that you feel comfortable with. Uh, you know, he's asked to play third because they had Crawford playing short, and he did it, and he did it very well. So, you know, moving him back over there, he hasn't been removed from it very long, and I've got no hes- hesitation that he, he won't, won't play well there. Is it biggest adjustment, the internal clock? Just knowing at third base you got a little more time to make the throw at shortstop, you've got to be a little quicker with the throw, and the ball may take a little longer to get to you. Well, I think there's an even exchange because the ball's going to get on you quicker at third base than it may be at shortstop because you're playing a little bit deeper. But uh, no, they, uh, I think that's built in. All these all these big league infielders, they know. Even the minor league infielders, as they get into Double A, Triple A, or even High A, they know the clock. They know what they have to do and uh, to get rid of the ball. And for the most part, you catch and get rid of it as quick as you can and make a good throw, and, and the play's over. So uh, you know the clock for for. For the most part, is that double play, second baseman's over there, and he may be waiting for a long throw from the third baseman. That guy at first base has got a pretty good lead and speed, and, you know, it, he's going to get on you quick. So that's when you that's when that thing starts to kind of, like, click in a little bit. But for the other ones, no, it's just routine plays. And that is Rage bench coach and infield instructor Tom Foley on teaching infielders to play multiple spots. Before we continue, let us pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. This is Tampa Bay Sports Radio. To the wall! Gone! 620 WDAE St. Petersburg and 95.3 FM, home of the Rays. Neil Solon's with you on This Week in Rays Baseball, today from the Guy Harvey Outpost of Trade Winds Island Resorts on St. Pete Beach. Joining us now to look at the week gone by is one Doug Wechter of Fox Sports Sun. Doug, first of all, you just heard a little bit from Tom Foley there, the Rays uh, bench coach and infield instructor. From a pitching standpoint, how important is the confidence you have in the infielders around you? Well, I think it's everything, Neil. Uh, it allows you as a pitcher to relax a little bit more uh, and, you know, be more aggressive, especially early in the count. You don't feel like you have to be a fine tune. You don't feel like you have to strike everybody out. And when a pitcher goes out there and thinks that he has to get all the outs himself, he has to be out there and dominate or strike everyone out and he can't trust his defense, it always ends up forcing you to throw more pitches. You try to be fine. You try to use the corners a little bit more, end up missing more often, and you find yourself in bad counts. When you have a really good defense behind you, I, I was able to play with guys like Carl Crawford and Rocco Baldelli in the outfield. And, you know, it honestly, it gave me the confidence to go out there and try to get ahead of hitters. And instead of going corners, first and second pitch, I'm going halves, and I'm talking about the plate. So I'm thinking, all right, if I want to throw an outside corner pitch, it's more I'm letting the catcher set up on the outside half which means that a lot of times I'm going to get that strike and I'm going to start ahead of the batter and turn the count in my favor. So, really, it's everything to have the confidence in your defense. And I agree with what uh, Foley was saying. I think Duffy's going to have an easy transition. It's not like he's been away from shortstop position for a long time. Excuse me, for a long time. 
So, uh, you know, I, I think it'll be a good transition. I've heard a lot of good things about the kid. So it'll be fun to watch and watch him and hopefully in the next few years for the race. And he certainly has played a couple of good games so far against the Yankees in this series defensively. Now, on the mound, Jay Cotarisi has been really a different pitcher since the All-Star break. He had those three straight uh, consecutive uh, starts where he didn't allow a single run. What to you has been the biggest difference between maybe Jay Cotarisi when he had that rut and Jay Cotarisi now? I think it's his split finger. I think his changeup is 100% the reason that he's doing so well this uh, second half or you know post-All-Star break. And I think before the All-Star break, he was just struggling with the command of that pitch. He didn't have the, you know, the really good depth to that pitch early on. And I think it was more consistency. Uh, he, his angle now, he, he's on top of the pitch when he releases it. And by doing that and staying on top of the pitch, you get a lot more depth. You get more swings and misses on that pitch. If you're, if you're watching the game today and if you watch you know, the second half of the season, he's getting a lot more swing and misses. Uh, first half of the season, I saw a lot more guys taking on that pitch. And when they're taking it, the, that, the batter is telling you right there that they're seeing it pretty well out of your hand. Uh, honestly, it's very similar to the turnaround that we've seen from Archer, I think, in the second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I know his last time he wasn't that great, but you know, I think the second half he's been a lot more uh, consistent and a lot better. And he's almost the Chris Archer that we saw the first half of last year. Um, and I think it's his slider. You know, And I think that you're seeing a lot more swing and misses on that slider in the second half of the season. There's a lot more depth to it. There's a lot of deception to it. And in the first half of the season, you know, for whatever reason, uh, batters were picking it up a little bit easier. You weren't getting that many swing and misses. And uh, it was just a different pitch. So I think both those guys are back to where uh, consistently they can go out there and give you really, really good outings and put your team in a position to win. One guy who's in build-up mode, and again, we're chatting with Doug Wechter of Fox Sports Sunday's is Matt Andres. He had a tough outing yesterday. He did well as a starter. He went to the bullpen, did well there. Uh, his starts have been just okay since returning the rotation. How hard is it to build back up during the course of the season, and is it really fair to evaluate him until he gets to 90, 100 pitches in a game? It, it is very tough. It's an understatement to say it's hard. Uh, I was in that same position. Uh, I've been there with the Rays and with other teams where you go, you're the long guy in the bullpen, so you're going to go in, and the fourth, fifth inning, you're going to try to finish out the game. Then all of a sudden, you need the spot start. Then you go back to the bullpen. Then you're going to be spot starting again. Um, the consistency is the thing that's so tough. You know, baseball players, we're all weird. Um, we got to have consistency. And, you know, no matter what it is, you want to know what your role is going to be, and you want to get locked into that role. But for Andres, he knew he was going to be pitching. He just didn't know if it was going to be the bullpen, back to starter. And, I mean, a day or two advance notice is one thing, but uh, it's nice to have a set role the entire season, get locked into that role, and consistently go out there and, you know, do your best in that role. Um, and what we're seeing from him is, yeah, he hasn't been as sharp his last few outings, but he has been very good uh, for what he's given this team so far this year. And, uh, you know, he's been one of the solid starters, and I thought that was a good move when Moore was traded to uh, go ahead and give him the start in spot of Moore and uh, see what he can do. I mean, his stuff is there. I really like his curveball. He's got a good fastball. He's got good movement to his pitches, and he stays ahead of hitters. So there's no reason that he can't be successful as a starting pitcher. I think if we just consistently put him in that situation and in that role, maybe we'll see the real Matt Andres, uh, what he could give this team for the future. Doug, one other thing I want to ask you, because it's kind of a weird series. What was your take on uh, Alex Rodriguez overall? I know you, you were one of the few guys who kept him in the ballpark. And uh, and yeah. is he going to play again? <laughs> thank, well, first of all, thank you for uh, 
letting everybody know that I kept him in the ballpark. I <laughs> he's one of the only guys I kept in the ballpark. Um, I think I faced him like 19 times, and uh, he was like around 270, 280 hitter off of me. So it's not like I got him out every time, but but yeah, no big flies off of me. So that's nice. Um, I had mixed feelings about it. You know, you look at Alex Rodriguez's numbers, and you take away the name next to the number, and you're like, wow, this is one of the best players to ever play the game. Then you put his name up there, you put the asterisks up there, and you know what happened. You obviously know he's got caught for certain things. Um, it's hard for me because I personally never did uh, any kind of, obviously, any kind of illegal substances, no PEDs, and I played the game clean. And so when I'm playing against guys who come out and you find out they're cheating and you pitched against them while they were cheating, yeah, it's really tough for me to feel – you know, sorry that he has to walk away from the game. It's it's just a mixed bag of emotions for me to know that I went out there and, you know, I gave everything I had the right way or you assume the right way, and then you go against guys who you knew weren't doing it the right way. And uh, it, it's hard to explain. It's just a, it's a weird feeling. I don't wish any ill will toward him, but I also, you know, seeing him walk away from the game wasn't, you know, heartbreaking for me either. Doug, well said. Nice to hear the human element. That's Doug Wechter of Fox Sports Sun. When we return, we'll take a look at the Rays minor league system and more after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Stop by the Benoit Renaissance Resort and Golf Club for fun fan bites before the next game. Their restaurants feature an array of tantalizing tastes, from vanilla malt waffles with smoked bacon syrup on the Sunday brunch menu to warm house-made pretzels with beer cheese sauce at their lobby bar and outdoor veranda patio. Don't forget the secret sushi bar at Marchand's. Free parking and $5 shuttle to the Trop with a $20 purchase. The Vinoy is your home base with seven dining options always open to the public. For more information and menus, visit VinoyBaseball.com. And the pitch launched deep center field. Back goes Buxton to his left, to the wall, gone. Home run. Evan Longoria to straightaway center field, and the Rays take a 1-0 lead. Looking to entertain clients or reward employees for a job well done? Bring your group to a Rays game this summer. Limited dates remain in exclusive group party areas and suites. For more information, call 888-FAN-RAYS or visit RaysBaseball.com today. Walked out this morning, I wanted to cry. There's people staring at me as they pass me by. Now I'm standing on the corner trying to catch a ride. Cause I lost my friggin' license when I got that DUI. That's who If you drink and drive, you'll be the one singing the blues. Buzzed driving is drunk driving. Paid for by the Florida Department of Transportation. Hey, Tampa Bay Rays fans, when the Rays score six runs, you score with Papa John's Pizza. The day after the Rays score six or more runs, get 50% off your entire online order at PapaJohns.com with promo code RAYS6. That's right, get 50% off your entire online order at regular menu price at PapaJohns.com. The day after the race score six or more runs. Just enter promo code RAISE6. Valid online only at participating locations. Taxes and delivery fee extra. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Hey, this is Kevin Kiermaier, and you're listening to Rays Baseball on 620 WDAE and 95.3 FM, the home of the Rays. Back on this week in Rays Baseball, Neil Solon's with you. Time now to take a look at the Rays minor league system. The club with the best record among Rays affiliates, Lowy Bowling Green, and their manager, Ronaldo Ruiz, who now joins us. Ronaldo, what's allowed this group to perform so well, especially here in the second half? Well, 
first of all, I mean the chemistry in the in the clubhouse is uh, is amazing. I mean those guys are getting along well, and they've been playing you know together for a uh, hundred or something games now, and, and and they get along well. And I think it's a big part of our our, our record right now, good record right now. You know, during the course of the year at the low A level, a lot of these kids are playing their first full year. Um, and you guys have not tired in that first full year. It seems you're getting stronger. Are there particular players you wanted to highlight that have really improved a lot, especially, let's say, from a position player standpoint? Yeah, um, we had a couple guys. Uh, I mean, uh, Rex Sullivan and David Rodriguez, those two guys have been playing really well. I think that's the, you know, the centerpiece of our offense. You know, they, they hit, uh, for the most part, fourth and, and fifth. And those guys, those two guys alone, they they have more than 100, 100 RBIs together. So, it's, you know, those two guys have been playing really well for, for, for us. And those are your two catchers, too. I know David is known more as a defensive guy, and, and Brett is learning the position, but how have they continued to grow there, too? Yes, definitely. You know, Brett is uh, uh, defensively still a work progress, you know, but uh, the energy that he put up and, and, and you know, uh, the way he care, go by his business is very impressive. And also offensively, he's doing it really well. And David, David's been, David Rodriguez has been uh, playing really well behind the play. I mean, he's doing a really good job blocking, receiving, throwing guys out at uh, the bases. So it's a, it's a good combination. Also, he can, uh, he can, he can spin about really well too you know especially with runners scoring position you know they've also had to deal with a changing uh pitching staff you've had a lot of guys move in and out either guys get promoted or injuries or what have you how have they handled all the changes on the staff in terms of having to learn a lot of new guys well the thing the good thing is uh you know we have uh brett, brett and, and, and david uh, the whole year you know and they know the league they've been playing a lot and they know those guys you know they play against uh, uh, all the other teams and they they have an idea how to uh, call the games and, and that helps a lot when you when you have guys coming from a different affiliate like you know uh tim ingram who's done a really good job and, and he came from uh, hudson valley and, and he cooperated real quick because uh, uh david and and, and Bray sullivan you know, you've had to move some different guys to the starting rotation, and, and a guy who stood out in terms of his numbers recently is Tyler Brashears. He was in your bullpen. How has he adapted, and, and what kind of stuff does he have? Well, he, he I mean, he's got a good fastball. I mean, he throws uh, 94, 93 miles per hour. He's a mechanic. It's, it's not a typical mechanic. He's, you know, he, he moves a lot, and, and that's, uh, you know, um, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to, to see to see the ball, and, 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 and I think it's part of uh, his success. And also he got a, a really good uh, above-average slider. So, uh, and also he's been, uh, he was uh, uh, in the bullpen at the beginning. He was kind of doing a lot of type of roles. He was uh, our closer, and then he was a long reliever. So he was doing a really, really good job, you know, uh, you know, doing all those uh, uh, tasks for us. And, and then we gave him the opportunity to start, and he's been doing a really good job for us. One of the guys who's been in the rotation all year, and, and I know has uh, had a fantastic first full season year, is Genesis Cabrera. How has he continued to improve this year? Yeah, he's been, uh, you know, he's been doing a really good job for us. He's uh, very consistent with his, with his, uh, uh, with his uh, mechanic and, 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 and with uh, his fastball. He's still working on his changeup. I think he's. Uh, uh, it's one of the things that uh, he needs to work on. Uh, but other than that, he's fast. So he throws he, he throws 95 miles per hour. He, he's not afraid to throw 
pitch inside, you know, use both corner, corners, and also he got a good curveball. And also, even though he's young, he's 19 years old, uh, again, uh, David Rodriguez and Brett Oliver is, is a big help for, for him, especially uh, with a young pitcher like him. You know, at the low-A level, it's so much about development, but the fact that you're winning, how much do you think that helps the kids to be able to learn and win at the same time in terms of their overall growth? I think, to me, that, that's huge. You know, you, you can develop and, and win at the same time. I think it's, uh, if we, uh, uh, you know, preach that uh, part of our development is to uh, be able to win games, you know, and, and even though uh, in minor, minor leagues is uh, all, all about development, uh, I think we we should should uh, you know uh, preach that uh, winning you can develop winners and and you play a lot of important games when when you win games. And you mentioned you know the chemistry of this group, the leadership. It sounds like coming from your catchers. A- anywhere else on the field where you guys you think some guys have started to develop in terms of leadership, and also has certainly played well too. Yeah, uh, we have a, uh, a Michael uh, Russell. He's been playing really well. He's one of those, uh, those uh, super utility guys. He can play all the positions in the infield. He also played uh, some uh, in the outfield, and he's been doing a really good job. He's uh, playing shortstop now uh, for the most part. Now that uh, Jay Cronenworth got the promotion, um, um, you know, Russell has been doing a really good job at shortstop. Play one of those guys that plays hard. He doesn't talk much, but uh, the way he goes about his business, the way he plays the game, he's, he, he makes him a, a leader leader for the group. Well, it's great to hear uh, the numbers that you guys are putting up as a group and continued uh, success down the road. We appreciate a few minutes on uh, This Week in Race Baseball. Thanks for having me. That's Bowling Green manager Ronaldo Ruiz, and with the Rays making several trades at the recent deadline, I asked Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com and MLB Network about the Rays farm system, and he says things are looking up. There were some lean years uh, where, uh, you know, some of it had to do with just, you know, picking lower in the draft, and then those draft picks uh, not doing as well. Uh, maybe they got a little too conservative uh, picking up top. I like how they've gotten a little more aggressive going after high-end talent. Uh, so they were starting to acquire a, a decent amount of talent. I wouldn't have put them top tier. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of what they got on, at the deadline, some of it's going to really depend on what Lucius Fox ends up becoming. But, he's, you know, he's far away. Uh, he's not a guy who's going to help in the near term. Obviously, they got uh, Duffy to be that near-term guy. Uh, I think that they were – shopping a lot of their starting pitchers uh, and had high asking prices, and I understand why. Uh, They didn't want to just give, you know, the Chris Archers, uh, the Jake Odorizzi's of the world away. But, um, you know, they couldn't quite get that big, uh, you know, say like the Yankees got for Andrew Miller, uh, for instance, uh, or what the Brewers ended up getting for Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, You know, I guess the market for starting pitchers or – the industry determined that what the Rays were offering wasn't worth, you know, top two or three prospects of a system. You know, I, I was curious on that, and, and here was my take, and I'm curious what you think, Jonathan. First, in terms of relief pitching, you know, if a team feels it's going to make the playoffs, you know, having a, a, a lockdown reliever or an extra lockdown reliever can have a, more of an impact in the postseason um, than a starter if they're not going to be a top-of-the-rotation guy. Is that is that fair? Hmm. You know, I hadn't thought of it that way. I guess that's, that is true. Um, and you look at Andrew Miller, I and mean, they have him under control for another couple of years. 
Um, so there's added value there. It's not like it's a two-month rental. Um, it did seem that the market for relief pitchers was better. Um, but, uh, you know, you look at that the Brewers were able to get the Giants' top prospect for for Will Smith, a left-handed reliever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for Matt Moore, who granted has some question marks, but control, uh, they got what they got now. The Giants system wasn't so deep that there were a bunch of top 100 prospects standing around. But I think that might speak to your point that the market, you know, there was more demand for relief pitching for uh, for that very reason. And, and I guess I look at what Kansas City has done, um, you know, in the postseason, and teams say, well, if one reliever can make one win of a difference during the course of a series, and then you look at catching. I mean, look how many teams have a frontline catcher. Uh, the demand for a Jonathan Lucroy obviously yeah, was great as well. Yeah, yeah. No, and I put that ahead of, uh, especially because there were not many impact bats open available on the market either. So now you have a guy who has hit well, can drive in runs, and plays a premium position. Uh, oh, and you have a very affordable club option for another year. Um, you know, all that uh, were reasons why the Rangers were willing to do what they, what they did. Uh, so yeah, that that probably and you're right. You get to a playoff series, and you may only need three starters. Maybe you need your mm-hmm. fourth starter, um, but uh, yeah, having that lockdown bullpen can make all the difference. Let's get to the aspect of the race system. Um, you know, they do have four guys in the top 100 at this point in time, um, and you know, Willie Adamas and Jake Bowers, uh, Brent Honeywell are all fairly close at the Double A level now. Um, most of these guys that the Rays got were A ball and lower. Give us first your – I know you said Fox is a ways away, but what makes him a, a potential talent um, several years down the line? Well, I, I mean, I think that if, if it all comes together, we're talking about a guy who's going to uh, hit for average from both sides of the plate, pretty good approach at the plate. Uh, he may grow into some more power, not a ton, but, you know, he's not going to have the bat knocked out of him. He can really, really run. Uh, we have him as a 70 runner on the on the 20 to 80 scale, um, and he sh- can play shortstop. Um, you know, some people think that maybe he's better off in center field. Okay, uh, still an up the middle position, um, so he has a chance to be a, a premium player up the middle, which is you know every organization looks for guys like that. No doubt. And the other player the Rays got from the Giants is Michael Santos, who's now at the bottom of the Rays prospect system, but is still considered at the A-ball level a potential high-end arm. Yeah, I mean, and that's, um, you know, the the Giants have been known uh, to develop guys like that, and you kind of don't hear about them until they get up a little bit higher. But, he's you know, he's he's still only 21 years old. And, uh, you know, you look at the strikeout-to-walk ratio, and that's really all you need to know. He's got a good feel for the strike zone already. Uh, he's projectable. He may fill out some more, so there may be more velocity. Uh, he's already jumped, you know, from the upper 80s up. Now he's touching 94. Uh, so there might be more. He's got two breaking balls, both of which could be average. He, he may have four, you know, average to above average pitches with uh, a tick above average control. So, uh, you know, maybe he's not a top of the rotation kind of guy, although. You don't want to put a limit on ceiling when a guy is 6'4", 170, just because the, the possibility uh, to, to add that velocity and make him a more premium guy could be there. But, you know, he's thrown uh, 58 and two-thirds innings in low A ball. So patience is going to be uh, of the utmost importance. 
Yeah, that's Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com. Hey, back to Tropicana Field. Have any of you ever thought about becoming an umpire? Well, this coming Saturday, there's a free umpire clinic at Tropicana Field. MLB umpiring supervisor Charlie Relliford told me about it during the last homestand. We've been doing this camp for about 10 years, uh, not only in this country, but we've been to Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic. We only do it one day a month during the baseball season, but from this camp we look for individuals, men or women, uh, that we think we could develop into a major league umpire. In the last 10 years, we've put over 100 people uh, into the minor leagues to help them get started on their umpiring career. Sounds like it's been quite successful. So how what, what's involved in a day like this? What do people need to know about what their day would be like? Sure. Um, basically, it's kind of an infomercial on how to get started. Uh, Often people look at it and say, well, I'm not an umpire. You don't have to be an umpire. You don't need any experience. Or you can even work the College World Series. We'll deal with everybody from the absolute beginner to an amateur that may have a high level of experience because the experience of our staff, mostly ex-major league umpires, we can uh, help all levels. And for people, they have to sign up, correct, to be involved, and there is a limit. Well, yeah, the reason there's a limit, I like to make sure everybody gets some individual attention. So I, I'll have about 12 or 15 ex-pro umpires there, many ex-big-time major leaguers. But in order for us to provide one-on-one attention, we try to limit it around 120. You know, we don't want to be exact with the number, but at some point we will turn people away. And where can people go to sign up? Ah, there's two different places. MLBUC, Major League Baseball Umpire Camp. So the initials MLBUC bring us to our general website, or you can spell it out, MajorLeagueBaseballUmpireCamp.com, and that'll take you specifically to our registration site. Now, in terms of the camp itself, you mentioned this has been successful. Are there some examples and that, that you'd want to touch on of, of guys who have who've gone through this? Uh, yes. If you watched the Rays game a couple of nights ago, uh, uh, Carlos Torres was a camper eight years ago. We offered him a scholarship. He worked his way through the minor leagues, and uh, he's made it to the major leagues. Uh, Ramon De Jesus has worked here earlier in the year, uh, also as a scholarship. Last year, we scholarshiped uh, 14 umpires to umpire school. All of them have started their professional career this year in the lower minor leagues. That's certainly terrific. Now, in terms of you know the umpiring uh, camp itself, what kind of traits? Are, you know, should people, if people are thinking about this and they're going, well, maybe this is for me or maybe it's not, what are some important things to know? Uh, somewhat athletic. And I know some people look at, at the umpires on TV and say somewhat athletic, but as you know, most of their backgrounds they do. Somewhat athletic, men or women. Uh, a good baseball IQ, love of the game, and basically that's just about it. We can train you to be an umpire. And we have such a strong military back uh, drop in here. I, I would guess that... If, if our military are listening, they might be good candidates. Oh, they're excellent candidates. In the history of umpires in the major leagues, a lot of veterans have left the military and become umpires. Besides our one-day free camps, baseball has allowed us to go on several Marine bases. In the last few years, we've uh, done this camp for 800 Marines. And we'd like to expand it to all the services and a special invitation to those at McDill because we love the servicemen and women. Best of luck specifically with this camp coming up again August 20th at Tropicana Field, and thanks for a couple of minutes. Neil, I appreciate it. I always appreciate your fairness with the umpires and your knowledge of the game. Yeah, that is MLB umpiring supervisor Charlie Relliford. Again, to sign up for Saturday's umpiring clinic, go to MLBUC.com. That event's at Tropicana Field. This week, the Rays launched a website seeking your feedback regarding the franchise's 
future home in Tampa Bay. And I sat down with Senior VP Melanie Lenz to discuss the website, ballparkreimagined.com. One of the things that we really want to do is try to gauge fan um, interest and, and really collect fan ideas about what they want their new ballpark to be. And so whether it's something that, you know, is around creating this icon for Tampa Bay or looking beyond baseball, creating these, you know, places for activities 365 days a year, we're just really interested in hearing what fans think because at the end of the day, this just isn't the Rays ballpark, it's Tampa Bay's ballpark. And so, you know, we're excited to hear um, new ideas. Obviously, then it's essential for them to provide input. And you mentioned some of the areas that um, you're looking for. I mean, there's, what, a slew of categories that you're seeking kind of ideas on? Sure. Right now, um, you know, this is going to be a living website over the really the life of this whole project. And so right now, we're just simply asking people what they imagine. And so we want people to be creative and thoughtful and, you know, big blue sky ideas. It could be anything crazy from lazy rivers in the outfield to, you know, great culinary classes in the, in the um, you know, the kitchens that we use to cook at a ballpark. And so we're just asking people what they imagine their new ballpark could be. And then, you know, as the season goes on during the off season, we'll have other, you know, ways for people to interact and come up with different ideas around specific subjects as well. So we encourage people to, to log on, log on often, and, uh, you know, keep up to date with what's going on with the ballpark. And the other note is, as I look at it, is that fans can actually kind of see what others are offering in terms of suggestions. So it's very interactive. It is, yeah. And it's also interactive on our social media channels as well. And so it's fun to see what other people think, um, you know, what other people are interested in having at their ballpark. And, you know, the idea and the goal is to take all of these collective ideas and turn them into real design ideas in the, in the next coming months. You also listed a series of kind of key information that people need to know. Okay, here's where we are. Um, what's important to know for fans who haven't gone on the website yet, and hopefully they will very shortly, but who, who are looking for, okay, where are we here? Sure. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. We're truly still at the beginning of this process. Um, everybody thinks that we've been at this ballpark initiative for years and years, and we're really at this point even six months in. And so we're very much still in the conceptual phase. And it's important to, for people to know that this is a long process. This is not something that's going to happen overnight and that we do need their feedback. We do need their ideas. And this is just the first of many ways that we'll be communicating with our fans um, to determine really what what's going to make uh, this new Rays ballpark a next-generation ballpark. And that is Rays Senior Vice President Melanie Lenz, and we certainly invite you to go to ballparkreimagine.com and find out more and also provide your input on the next home of the Tampa Bay Rays. Hey, the end of nine innings really doesn't mean that the fun has to stop. With the purchase of a ticket to watch the Rays and the Rangers a week from today, Sunday, August 21st, fans also will be able to watch Kids Bop Kids in a post-game concert. The Kids Bob Kids will have your family moving and grooving. All you have to do is call 888-FAN-RAYS or visit RaysBaseball.com today. Raise up. I want to thank Melanie Lenz, Senior Vice President of the Rays, for telling us a little bit more about the website, BallparkReimagine.com. want to thank our other guests on today's program, among them, Rays pitcher Matt Andrees, now into the rotation, Tom Foley, the Rays bench coach and also infield instructor, chatting with us about the move of positions, one being Brad Miller going to first base and the other being Matt Duffy going back to shortstop. 
Also thanks to Doug Wechter, former A's pitcher, currently with Fox Sports Sun, as well as the manager of the Bowling Green Hot Rods, that being Ronaldo Ruiz. They have the best mark among any Rays affiliate at this point in time. They're currently 20 games over 500 for the season. Special thanks, too, to Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com and also MLB Network. And also thanks to Charlie Relaford, again, Major League Baseball umpiring supervisor, about the upcoming camp at Tropicana Field. For people who want to become an umpire, you can go to MLBUC.com to find out more about that. And also special thanks to our producer for this show and many of the others, that being John Milo. On our program next week, we're going to chat with Logan Forsyth, of course, he was the MVP of the team a year ago and has made a pretty good transition this season into the leadoff spot for the Tampa Bay Rays. Certainly, if you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me. You can do so at Neil Solons. We're the Guy Harvey Outpost of Trade Winds Island Resorts on St. Pete Beach, getting you set for the Rays and the Yankees in the last of three. I'm Neil Solons. Jay Cotorizzi on the hill for the Rays today. Luis Severino going for New York. Stay tuned. Coming up, it is the pregame show, Rays in New York, from the Guy Harvey Outpost for a Rays watch party. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Driven in the air to center field. Kiermaier going back at the wall, jumps up, and makes the catch. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. Swinging a high fly ball to right field. Back to the wall, and it's gone. And field homer for Logan Forsyth, and we're all tied. Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.